amplified. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Kenji podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the uh, Amner Rockness podcast. All right, so we're back. So I spoke with. Don't get too I excited. Spoke with, <laughs> we do have a podcast coming up yeah. in Spanish, though. So too bad for people that can't yeah. speak Spanish. Yeah. So we're totally alienating people yeah. that don't speak Spanish. <laughs> no, but we wanted to do one in Spanish that just, just we were just you know talking about farts and and yeah, pee pee, caca, yeah. Poo -poo. yeah. So we thought Spanish was. Good way to go. Yeah, good way to go. <laughs> so no, it'll be uh, just, you know, us we're two. we're a monolith. You yeah, know, us Hispanics, we just <laughs> love talking about shit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it'll be you and a couple of other hosts. So four people just talking nonsense, literally nonsense. So, um, but this guest coming up is Matt Bruce. He's the uh, one of the organizers of the. Black Liberation Movement. Still, it's still BLM, but branched out from Black Lives Matter. I'll let him, you know, on the podcast explain why and how and what he does. But I just wanted to kind of bring him on and just meet him and see what he's, you know, what his uh, thought process is. And you know, they're the ones that are out there protesting and getting arrested. And he's on the news a lot. Because um, he keeps getting arrested. I thought he was an interesting person to bring on, and, and it was actually a very interesting conversation. Very smart. Very cool. Smart guy, yeah. Usually, uh, leaders are smart. Yeah. So, He's smart, man. Yeah. He's young. He's 26. I think 26. Maybe. He's mid 20s and um, well read. You know, you think you're going to meet a uh, protester or somebody's angry, and all this. It's the opposite. The total opposite. Anyways, you'll hear him on the on the podcast here soon. Look out for big news from us. We're working on this pretty big project. Actually, today we're gonna be recording a lot of a lot of different podcasts. So keep an eye out for that coming up very 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 soon. But for now, this is local, born and bred Des Moines, Iowa activist Matt Bruce. I want to get your reaction on this on this song though. It's not bad, right? <laughs> it's kind of insidious, but when the beat drops, it's like, all right, yeah, we're in business. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Matt. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I usually do homework too when I when I'm uh, gonna interview somebody for the podcast. Um, you know, just to kind of ask questions, but you, you've been on the news, you've been on the, the register and a lot of people, you know, see the headline, read the headline and they make their complete judgment out of that headline, you know, or maybe they don't even bother to do it. You know, the, the moment they see, um, BLM, Black Lives Matter, which what's the group that you're, um, Yeah, well, we're formerly known as Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. um, we're now known as the Black Liberation Movement, um, Des Moines Black Liberation Movement, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, formerly known as Black Lives Matter. And we're still, um, I would say, parallel in many ways and in solidarity with the, the movement um, for black lives. Like, it is uh, part and parcel of the same movement. But um, I think for many reasons, Black Liberation is, a, is the framework that we want to frame the work we're doing. But, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, just with that alone, they see, but the letters are essentially BLM. the same. Mm -hmm. So then people make their um, their their uh, conclusions, I guess. So yeah. I thought, you know, why not? There's so many misunderstandings, misconceptions. And so I thought maybe we can sit down and, and just kind of, for people that um, allow people to give give them an insight of who you are and you know, what the, what the, your positions are and what the movement is and, yeah. you know, be a little bit more, give you a chance to kind of like break it down a little bit. So absolutely. Um, you were, t we were talking about Malcolm X before and mm -hmm. he said, uh, the, the newspapers are have you, um, loving the wolf and hating the sheep. Mm -hmm. 
you know, loving the um loving the oppressor and hating the oppressed. So I think um like independent journalism, podcasting, any way we can kind of get our own story out. Yeah, that's the way. It'll help. That's right? the way for sure. So I guess let's start with the let's start from recent and work our way back. So you've been mm. arrested five times. Yeah. And with multiple charges, right? Like oh yeah, you, everything ranging from uh, felony mischief. Um, a couple different times I got charged with felony assault on a police officer, peace officer. One of those got dropped and thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting because I got charged. So that one, uh, that was my second arrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the felony mischief was my first one. The second one was for interfering with official acts. Essentially, I was trying to witness an arrest. Mm-hmm. At the Capitol State grounds, um, that day has gone down in infamy mm-hmm. um, in many ways. But, uh, yeah, I was arrested for uh, standing there and trying to witness the arrest, and then they charged me with a, a felony assault on a peace officer and later threw it out because very many different ways along the way mm-hmm. they they made a lot of mistakes. Um, the first mistake was really just doing what they did at all. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but they banned me from the Capitol. So they, they said, uh, when they charged me, they said, essentially, I've been causing trouble at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. They banned me from going there to speak. Um, and then later dropped the charges mm-hmm. that they used to justify the ban. But uh, that so, ban is still in place. So in essentially what um, some journalists, I think there was a city council that mm-hmm. uh, criticized them a little bit or the police department. Yeah. Essentially, these are tactics. What's your take? It, it definitely seems every arrest um, is calculated. You can see, for me, I know every time I've arrested, been arrested, or every time the police move, it was in a calculated manner. For example, um, we can go to the last arrest that I took. Um, I was just arrested like last week or the week before mm-hmm. um, for disorderly conduct. Um, what they said was that now we have to have a permit to march in the streets. So they arrested me and they're threatening to arrest and harassing another organizer mm-hmm. um, for this event, the Freedom All event um, that we did in solidarity with uh, some of the Latinx organizers around the city. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they arrested me for that. So, um, so it was a solidarity kind of event where I didn't even organize the event, mm-hmm. but they held me responsible because they know my face and my name. Mm-hmm. And it's a tactic to what they do is they um, they find any reason to arrest me. Um, they'll arrest me and then they'll put out a press release and um, kind of like throw, d- throw yeah. dirt and throw mud and mm-hmm. accusations around. And um, also they're trying to intimidate the people we work with, mm-hmm. you know, trying to break up solidarity. You know, you, you see the black people doing an event with the, the Latin community, mm-hmm. you know, you you don't want that happening. So harass the Latin community at the end of the event mm-hmm. and then go and arrest the um, black organizers the next day and kind of show them like, nah, you know, if y'all work together, we're going to punish y'all mm-hmm. separately and split y'all up. Is it working? I say no, no. Um, For you, though, like, I mean, um, I'm scared for you. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> you so know what I mean? I'm a dad, you know, I'm 16 year old. And, and um, uh, I, I mean, you you know, I have my point of view, right? Like my personal opinion about it. I I feel like it's tactful, and you know, there's yeah. there's 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 a um, there's a little bit of a, a strategy. Oh, right? absolutely. Um, and I'll say when I say no is not working, I think in this. Well, let me get around to that. It's it works in the sense like these tactics exist for a reason. Um, I think racism, like its number one tool, is fear. We talked mm-hmm. about that. So yeah, the tactics do. Like you do have to think different. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've noticed how my thought processes okay. are different mm-hmm. throughout you know through the summer. Um, like fear does change your mind, and living in it does like change the way you see things. Like mm-hmm. I, you know whether it's needing therapy, uh, checking in with friends more, mm-hmm. um, using my phone less. Like it's a lot of different things where yeah I have had to move different because <clears throat> I'm being surveilled. Like, right. Yeah, and there's no way to get around that. Um, so yeah, it, it has had an effect, but whether it's had the effect of stopping the the organizing mm-hmm. um, and uprooting the movement, mm-hmm. I think it's done the exact opposite. Um, one of the books that I've read is like called uh, Counterinsurgency, mm-hmm. and it's about how uh, essentially what this war is all about, like what police the police state war is all about, and it's about um, kind of manufacturing consent. Um, manufacturing people who are neutral, who are indifferent, 
Mm-hmm. And I think the actions of the police department have permanently like radicalized a lot of people mm-hmm. this summer. And I think that's they're going to look back and see that that was a mistake. When they see the wave of grassroots organization that comes from this long-term organization that comes from this summer mm-hmm. and that comes from like this movement, I think they're going to see like, oh, we made a mistake, mistake. Like we created a real long-term institutional enemy mm-hmm. that we didn't have to deal with before. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about, um, so I was reading uh, Rekha Basu, the Des Moines Register journalist, um, the article that she wrote and there's, um, um, I guess in protest, because I haven't been to a protest. Mm. Uh, I'm an immigrant. I'm a permanent resident. Um, you know, so, but I'm a father, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I, I kind of have the, the urge to like go and, and become a part of it and mm-hmm. just kind of help out. But, you know, I'm like, man, I'm a dad, you know, I have to think about certain things and, um, but anyway, so I haven't been to a, to any protest, but they say that there's like unmarked cars and, Absolutely. Um, right. So, th- is that um, does that touch you that or reach the psyche that you're like, oh, is there um, does that work when they show up with uh, uh, with unmarked unmarked t- cars and unmarked uh, or undercover police and sorry about knocking your table. Oh, you're good. Um, so I'll say uh, it, it works and it. The way it works is that several ways. I don't think it works on me so much because I've been I'm used to it. Um, like a lot of black people are used to unmarked vehicles and like being surveilled and stuff like that. Especially people that have lived closer to crime mm-hmm. uh, through their lives, like as a lifestyle or a means of just getting by. Um, but what I think it does work for is for um, people who haven't experienced police violence, mm-hmm. um, especially at the beginning of the year. Like a lot of the uh, being honest, like younger white people. Um, some of the younger black people too, or people who just like have lived in, um, you know, lives of privilege who have never experienced like that kind of level of mm-hmm. o- o- obvious overt, like that's violent, like that's intimidating yeah. for people that you know are armed, mm-hmm. um, that you know are sanctioned by the state, but are unmarked and you know they're surveilling you. Um, it's con- confrontational, you know, it's a show of power. And it's like the first day that I showed up, yeah, they were like, fly, they flew, dro- flew drones over heads too. Mm-hmm. Um, it had unmarked cars that, you know, will circle by or come down or park, like tr- kind of park sneaky behind a bush or around a corner or a block away or something. And you can definitely see that, like, people will notice the car and get anxious. People will notice the car and start to, uh, is that a cop? Y'all know that, uh, mm-hmm. y'all know undercovers are trailing us, right? You know, and we'll be like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you're with a bunch of black people now. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is what we live with. Yeah. You know, and so... um the violence is always, it's just kind of crazy because the violence has always existed. And I mm-hmm. think the protest just brings it out for everyone to see, like, look what happens when black people try and speak about what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The unmarked cars has been kind of trippy. Because they also, um, like, going back to, we've, we've started to get discovery for some of the police reports. And they're, they're essentially there to take pictures and to track who they want to know exactly, like, who's going like they view these people all of these people who are going out and stepping out and expressing their first amendment as problems mm-hmm. and as enemies um to their own institutions so i think that's what they're doing is like they're trying to catalog and create a real like understanding of exactly who all these people are and um they've used a lot of that information um so, weird all kinds of weird stuff so <clears throat> so you're right you you're marching forward this is something that you're is it becoming part of your like daily life, uh, uh, or how how do you manage? How do you like uh, on a daily basis walk around mid twenties kind of life, right? Like uh, you guys your age are going to bars and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know not True. doing this. So. Um, so that's interesting. I think this movement for in a lot of ways freed me up actually. Um, because I was stuck. So I was, I'm a college dropout. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, like being a young black man, college dropout in COVID mm-hmm. in Chicago was not very, it was not easy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that was some of the energy that was coming out, like protesting and like trying to create a, a place for myself. So like, this has been a way for me to empower myself in many ways. Um, and activism has always been my work and I've always had this trouble of being like, 
I feel an activist at heart, but the world doesn't validate that as a form of quote work mm-hmm. or a, a quote a job or mm-hmm. career or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, turning it into something I can do every day has kind of been like, I've still been meditating on how much of a gift that is, almost like a miracle that I can wake up and think about problems in my community and then I can just go and act on them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I feel very lucky. Okay. Um, I feel very empowered. I feel like there's a lot of people that would love to be in my position where it's like they could literally get up and look at the problems in their life mm-hmm. and just go and attack them. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at every day because of the support that I have. Like people support me in that work. And the more that they see me go and do that, the more support they give me. So it's kind of been like um, this really weird, like cool catch 22 situation. Like all I got to do is keep being me. So, nice. which is interesting because you're saying that, um, so you, 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 you're looking at your life through a lens of like empowerment mm-hmm. and, um, gratefulness Yeah. where I thought I was going to talk to somebody that was, uh, mad and, you yeah. know, like, and that's, that's the misconception. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, um, people that are indifferent of the movement mm. or indifferent of anything that they, you know, that they haven't been exposed to, like, you know, like police brutality. They immediately want to put a label on it, so and it makes it okay for them to be indifferent, right? Like, oh, yeah. they're just angry, mad, and that's a battle again. Like, like I said, like manufacturing consent—that's that's the number one way the police state works. Um, it can be this brutal because people will allow it to essentially. Um, but if you really think about it, like it's really not cool for your neighbors to get beat up on, mm-hmm. and every time someone gets beat up on, that's somebody else's neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's as simple as, like, how do we convince people to look at it that way? Like, we should not make it acceptable for our neighbors to get beat up on mm-hmm. and violated. I think that's that's why, like, all these, the way that I've been painted exists. Like, they're trying to find any way to keep people from stepping outside of that normal train of thought that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, like, I guess the idea that someone could be grateful to be able to address these issues is, like, profound. Mm-hmm. But it, I feel like it shouldn't be, you know, that there's young black kids that are grateful to be able to have a chance, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what it is. So when did you, so you're from Des Moines. You said you dropped out of um, college. College. Mm-hmm. Let's work our way back. So you high school, mm-hmm. it was in, uh, where'd you go to high school at? Uh, East High. East, okay. Yes, sir. So you born and raised in Iowa? Mm-hmm. I was born, um, I wasn't quite born on Grandview Avenue. The first ha- house I remember living on was Grandview Avenue. Okay. Over by um, Teach Out Swimming Pool, the old KFC. Old Eastsiders know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Library, so your Eastside roots Library. are here. Yeah, for okay. sure. So for you, sure. you you moved to Chicago. You were in Chicago. And then what brought you back? What, what, was, the, what was the... So... After so I went from high school to University of Iowa, ended up dropping out. And then um spent a year still in the state before moving to DC actually. Mm-hmm. Um, or the DMV area. Spent about nine months there working on a podcast and kind of just reevaluating where I was and coming up with a new plan, which COVID wiped out everything. Yeah. So when COVID hit actually I moved. Um I was living with my aunt and she was very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. to the um to the spread of the of the disease and I was an essential worker so it wasn't a good mix so I moved to Chicago and then yeah George Floyd happened okay I was living there for like two or three weeks in Chicago mm-hmm. and I have roots there my um my biological father's from there a lot of activists that I worked with that I was from there good friends that I do business music business with are there so it's a it's a city I have roots in connections to it okay but then what what brought you back then? Um, the response to um, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery at that time was, it was so overwhelming and it was so clear that a, a material, physical change was happening, like mm-hmm. things were moving. And it was like, it was almost like a train was moving and it was like, are you going to get on or are you going to just sit here and watch it move? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to get on and I'm not going to just get on. Like, I want to drive this time for real. Mm-hmm. So um, you've been an activist for how long? I would say five or six years since I got to it, since the shooting death of Michael Brown, 2014. Okay. I'd have been August 2014, so 
And you were just kind of joining anything that you... Anything. Mm-hmm. Anything that was just like, come and give it to the system. I was like, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And then um, actually, uh, I was at the University of Iowa when a KKK statue, an, a quote, art piece, unquote, mm-hmm. got put onto the campus. And that was the first time I like became involved with something that was local and tangible. And, mm-hmm. like, I was constantly moving things forward and fighting mm-hmm. on an issue. So you moved down here... Um, when uh, uh, George Floyd, um, uh, so th- do you come and just kind of start going to protest, or do you go directly to the organization? Tell me a little yeah. bit more about how that. I was going just attending protests in Chicago, and I'm a I'm a nerd, so I was like the first couple nights. Um, actually, the night before George Floyd, or two nights before, there was um I'm spacing on his name. Um, a black man that was killed in Indiana as well. And so, like, when these things happen, I'm a sociology mm-hmm. student, so I like to study protest and the developments and, like, understanding how the events turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was studying that, and then Minneapolis happened, and I was studying that. Mm-hmm. And then on the third, the second night, I knew, okay, something's crazy going on because the protesters aren't just protesting. They're engaged in a real conflict. Mm-hmm. Like, it's different. Mm-hmm. Like, the police and them power is at stake it's not just hey we want this it was we're gonna go take power to do what we want mm-hmm. and then on the third night sure enough the police precinct burnt, burnt down and that's when um when when the police precinct went down that was kind of a sign to everybody that yeah this is um this is a revolutionary moment people are thinking in terms of more than just i'm angry and i'm gonna loot people are thinking in terms of i'm targeting systems I'm going to go get change. Um, we're going to organize. We're going to um, move as if we're really a fist. And so everyone, I think everyone that was young and black and had organized before recognized that moment as like, it's up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally up right now. So um, everyone started hitting each other up. Um, I was hitting people up in Des Moines, like, what's going on? What are y'all doing? I was watching live streams. Mm-hmm. And um, we, planned a, we planned a march while I was still in Chicago, and I came. Okay. I arrived in Des Moines the, the day that that march Okay. Uh, what's gonna happen? Well, we planned a, a weekend, a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I came down. And so then you 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 were part of then you became part of the Black Lives Matter Des Moines. Yeah, Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Okay, we kind of created it in that moment. Okay, because there wasn't one yeah. before, right? No. Th- is there a national Black Lives Matter? Is there like a kind of like a you guys have to turn in any paperwork or anything, or yeah. it's just like you guys just talk to the national? We applied for nat- for membership and got back. They got back really late. Mm-hmm. Um, nonprofit politics are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing we recognized was like in that even the national org recognizes that Black Lives Matter is bigger than any of these organ quote organizations. Like it's really a rallying cry and a spiritual banner. I would call it. Okay. Um, another one of my friends calls it a subterfuge, and what he means is that like Black Lives Matter is a way to explain in the moment something that keeps happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so we said Black Power in nineteen. 19- 78 now we're saying black lives matter and maybe in 20 years we'll be saying something different and mm-hmm. before black power we said um um we said uh pan africa or you know what i'm okay, saying okay you know, um so it's like a, a subterfuge but it's a unifying call okay um and so we just wanted to organize organize around that unifying call okay yeah so so then so then it, then at some point you and the the organizers the local organizers had to just call it black liberation movement mm-hmm. Is that just to kind of free yourself from the nonprofit kind of politics that you mentioned, or it it was, um, yeah, it definitely was. Um, there's also like just some distrust around the like funding around Black Lives Matter too. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we have a stance on that, more so we just wanted to avoid the questions and mm-hmm. like we weren't. Go- it was clear we, whether regardless of what we named ourselves, we weren't going to be connected to the national org. So mm-hmm. we just wanted to avoid those questions and. Also, we just thought, as far as an organizing sense, that liberation and framing that as, like, the foundation of our politics, like, we're trying to free ourselves um, of certain aspects that are denying us civil liberty. We thought that was a very strong way to present Mm -hmm. what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that also um, a lot of, like, American language is built off of liberty. You know what I mean? So if we can build language that's all that's that that talks about liberation, um, 
we can kind of like tap into some of the, I don't want to say cheat codes, but tap into some of the, the narratives that are going to move us where we need to, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Whether it's within the courts, in the media, in our own communities. So what's the, the, what's the biggest challenge? I mean, obviously black people, African-Americans getting killed, stopping violence, all that, that's probably the big, the biggest one, but I see, but, but as far as messaging or, or the, the, the discourse or the commentary, I'm assuming that's a big challenge for you guys, right? Yeah, because it's, it's so many problems, you know, for a new organization to have to deal with. One of the things I'm seeing, what I can speak as is our biggest barriers is like, to be honest, we don't have like almost no organizational structures mm-hmm. to deal with these problems in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I guess like that's the that's like literally the problem. The mm-hmm. fact that all these young people are having to come up with all of these mechanisms, all of these policies, all of these, you know, campaigns and stuff to deal with issues that should have been like there should have been robust organization around. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's one thing is just like the biggest one of the biggest things is like literally just being able to actually describe the scope of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's we're working tough. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the second thing to me is finding out how do we like make the answer to that bigger than ourselves? Mm-hmm. Like how does Des Moines BLM empower a community so that we don't even have to be there mm-hmm. for there to always be some kind of like advocacy? Mm-hmm. Like how do we empower neighbors to help neighbors? Yeah. And I think that's what we're looking at, building a world where like we don't BLM doesn't have to step in for an equitable response to happen. So what is the um, so if you have a five or ten point of what, you know, black liberation movement in Des Moines would demand or request. Right. Mm -hmm. You guys are not asking. Right. This is part of the, the thing. Yeah, you're basically this is like we're demanding this. This is what we need to exist. Yeah. yeah. Um, do do you um can you think of like maybe top three, top five? First, defund police for sure. Um, and we were talking about this today. Uh, the possibility of us declaring a state of emergency for Black Iowans, and usually in a state of emergency, a group is asking or telling or demanding of a government agency like resources or something to deal with the emergency as well. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're framing it. Like you need to defund police because of all of these crises that we're experiencing. And the police are key in exasperating the disparities in, in every situation. Um, so we're going to need you to, to take down the problem, dismantle the problem and take those resources and that energy and put it into the solutions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, ending juvenile detention and putting the money into education. Mm-hmm. You know, ending um, the war on drugs and putting the money into drug rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, ending the war and the uh, the attrition against the homeless community and putting the money into equitable housing. Um, these are basic things that will make our society more humane. Mm-hmm. Like very, very basic. You mm-hmm. know, take guns off the streets. Take drones off the streets. Stop with all the traffic cameras, with all the surveillance, with all of the... And let's move towards like actually empowering people. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one is defund police, um, and I named a couple other things I guess in there. Ending mm-hmm. juvenile detention, yeah, yeah. you know, decriminalizing it's in within the system. Yeah. Within yeah. Um, another big thing we've been pushing for is uh, ending the eviction moratorium, or not ending the eviction moratorium, um, and placing in a permanent um, or indefinite eviction moratorium under COVID. Um, just because what COVID-19 has meant for the black community, mm-hmm. all of the disparities, whether it's the job loss disparities, the the infection disparities, the, de- the death rate disparities, um, the rates of displacement and eviction. So uh, like putting out an eviction moratorium is almost like a stimulus package and like a humanitarian aid. Okay. An act of humanitarian aid. Okay. Break that one down for me and educate me because yeah. so that ending the, the eviction yeah yeah eviction moratorium means nobody can be evicted at this time so um it varies whether or not landlords can still collect rent um but it means that you cannot legally evict somebody in this period of time Mm -hmm. and so what it does is that gives people 
um, it's like writing them a stimulus check mm-hmm. um, because you're telling them that their house payments are optional, mm-hmm. um, that you'll secure their safety. And then usually, like, I mean, you know this, if you're paying bills and someone tells you, okay, if this bill doesn't get paid, you're going to get forgiven for it right now. We're not going to cut your service off. It's an emergency. Da, 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 da. You're going to work. You're going to strategize different how you right. where you spend your money. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll see that be a, a form of stimulus mm-hmm. um, for people when they don't have to worry about, okay, I'm going to stay in my house this week. I can go ahead and mm-hmm. pay off the car mm-hmm. note. I can go ahead and pay the phone bill. I can go ahead and get the food. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that would be a huge, huge, huge relief mm-hmm. in this time. Getting people used to demands that are like socialistic and that are all inclusive like that, um, that would help everybody. Mm-hmm. That would help every single person that rents. Has anybody in the uh, in any office or any public office have they come and to you and talked to you guys or invited you guys to to talk uh is there any attempts out of like the police department or the police council or the police are interesting not really from the police mostly what we get from the police are um people who come to us don't want their identity revealed but they leak information um yeah, people that really don't they don't want they don't want any connection, they don't want any ties, they don't want any it, they don't want it to come back to them, but they want someone else to have this information cuz it deserves to come to light or cuz someone needs to act on it. Mm. That's the main thing we get from police. Um from the response from community members, other people have been interesting. I know like especially black legislators have been extremely helpful. Um, Roz Smith is one. Stacy Walker, who's the Lynn, on the Lynn County Board of Supervisors. Mm-hmm. Um, You've talked to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. That, like, okay. like, like some. Yeah. We're we have a lot of legitimacy. Like, we have a lot of people we work with. Um, yeah. They've came and done events with us. They constantly organize with us. Um, some other people would be like Rob Barron. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. On the Des Moines School Board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and these Abdul, are people what's are, his name? Uh, Akeo. So Akeo has spoken out. Um, he speaks out on our behalf and he continues to like, show up. But there's um there's a little bit more conflict there. But that's someone that, again, yeah, is continuously like he shows up for anytime I have a court date. Mm-hmm. Anytime I'm arrested, usually he's checking in. He helped me get my lawyer. Okay. Um. So that's like another representative. Yeah, there's a lot of. And then there's community members that come out and reach out business owners that reach out hey mm-hmm. can we offer you this product can we offer you this where we did this flash sale that we're going to donate to blm um and lawyers that offer their free service like it's been a lot of a lot of like support from people with stake in the okay. community real yeah. stake in the community yeah and that's the thing i think doesn't get reported on as well like right if we printed out for real printed out the list of people that we've worked with it would you would be surprised at how moderate is some of it seems like mm-hmm. oh it's very perfectly normal like the the democratic black caucus mm-hmm. iowa naacp aclu like this sounds like a very legitimate organization mm-hmm. yeah to back that. so uh so you feel the support from from that aspect what about the community the um okay to be more specific like uh do you get frustrated when you don't see enough numbers out when it's a march or when it's a peaceful protest, mm. the, is the uh, does can the community do more? Is and if and if yes, um, who's lacking of support? And if there is support, who is the one that you know? Yeah, I, I'm mixed. It I have mixed feelings because we could always use more bodies. Um, to watch it go, it like watching it go from like a thousand people. You know, in the summer, down to like 250, 200, 250. It is kind of tough. Um, one of the things I have to remember is like it was literally trending, like worldwide trend trending. Uh, George Floyd was. Um, it was a lot of people that aren't radical necessarily that were out in the streets because it was very safe to be. Mm-hmm. When there's a thousand people, a march is a lot safer than when there's 150. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's one thing is like it's almost a prisoner's dilemma that. The moment that the numbers drop, start to drop, they drop like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the prisoner's dilemma that people are in, where it's like, if he's not going to show up, then I'm not going to show up. Mm-hmm. Like, we both have to show up for either one of us to, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but really the more frustrating thing has been, I guess, 
feeling like um, wanting people to do more actions on their own that we can support. You know what I mean? Like, um, even just small stuff, like little, like if, if neighbors got, it would be cool if like neighbors was getting together and just to like on their block today, we're just going to shut down our block today and hold Mm -hmm. signs and hold space for the movement. You know, it, it could be all kinds of like little direct actions that aren't, we're not quite there, but I think it's honestly not something, um, where I'm going to put blame on the community. Um, more so like it's just organizing work we need to do mm-hmm. getting to people and, and radicalizing them and also telling them like you know you're perfectly capable of taking this into your own hands and you know really convincing people that they have that power right now so i was listening to um a couple of podcasters um african-american they had two guests um and they they were discussing i was not part of the podcast i was just listening to them watching them mm-hmm. uh very interesting topics uh they're older, you know, African-Americans. Um, but they were discussing the the church role mm. on on this. Uh, where back in the, you know, where Martin Luther King was literally a pastor, right? Um, the church was more involved back then. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Do you feel um, that the, the church should uh, should be a little bit more or is it involved or should it be more involved or it's better that they're not involved? Um, hmm. I think the church in those times was better equipped for one to be involved. Um, if we just look at like, like how the black community was structured back then, like the most talented, the most privileged, like the most empowered people were all in the church. Mm hmm. Um, so it would have made sense because, like, that's where Martin Luther King was went to college before 18 years old and was had his master's by, like, 22 years old and was back in the church. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, the most brilliant minds was leaving school and going back to church. And given um, just the way that society is structured now, whether it's the war on drugs, whether it's, like, the how, like, dominant the urban landscape has been and what mm-hmm. that does to, like, youth like what we experience now versus back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, I don't know if the church has the ability to reach us in that way Mm -hmm. where young, talented people are coming back to the church to organize. So I just don't know if it's realistic. Okay. Um, But you don't feel like uh, the lack of support is, is hurts you or um, it could, it could definitely be mobilized. It could definitely be mobilized in the sense of, um, Again, not necessarily, I don't expect, again, because, like, the demographic that the church serves now is is much more, like, smaller niche, like, older um, black community, I would say. Mm-hmm. But um, even amongst, like, the white clergy and, like, the clergy writ large, like, churches should be organizing small direct actions, vigils, mm-hmm. sit-ins, email campaigns, letter-writing campaigns. Like, this is these are basic forms of civic action that it's like for some reason or another in the past 40 or 50 years churches have stopped doing mm-hmm. like there's the catholic worker community in des moines they do a lot of great work around that kind of stuff there's trinidad um mm-hmm. there's the um downtown disciples and that's about it that i know of that's okay. like clergy members that actually care about you know civic engagement um it just doesn't seem like they do that anymore like churches do any of that stuff anymore mm-hmm so um, going back a little bit to give you the opportunity to kind of clarify some misunderstandings or misconceptions or anything, uh, what's your process when you're like, let's, you know, organize a march here? Because people like, I can't be far off if um, if some people think these guys are just uh, going off looking for trouble and they're going to, you know, that's their like... I I bet you that there's people that assume that you guys are out that the, your main goal is to go do some just something crazy. Yeah, yeah. The, the police wrote that in a report that that um the plans for one of our marches was to create quote mass chaos. That's never a goal. Um, yeah. So walk walk it through. Um, what's you guys' process? Yeah. Without le- revealing too much. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. No. Um, yeah. I don't want to do. <laughs> um, the main. <laughs> the Tell main us where thing, you meet. <laughs> <laughs> funny as hell. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> um, the main thing is, what do we want? Like, mm-hmm. why? 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 Why are we in the streets? And if we can answer that question, we can have a march, mm-hmm. essentially. So um, thinking about why and then making decisions as to what's going to get us there. Like, for example, um, the Breonna Taylor information just came out about mm-hmm. um, now one of these jurors, grand jurors, is moving through the courts to have all the information about how the case was presented, released. We could potentially march to highlight that, right? Mm-hmm. So if we want to highlight that, what ways could we march to do that? Where can we go to garner attention? Where can we go to get eyes? Where can we go to disrupt people? What images are going to be popular? And so what images mm-hmm. can we, we create that are going to go viral on social media? What mm-hmm. news outlets can we get there? And that's what we think about, and that's kind of how we organize. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just for, like, in the Breonna Taylor case. But we've had so many – I mean, just because so many situations arise, there's a million different ways to address something. Like when Vit, when Vit was – um, we had a, a political prisoner – get taken for three weeks um essentially because the cops were doing sloppy work and because the news station aired their sloppy work then they went and retaliated against one of us mm-hmm. so while he was in jail we decided the best thing to do would to be um to we were pretty much email bombing quote email bombing which is when you just send a bunch of emails. send a bunch of emails that's all it is we just <laughs> sent a bunch of emails <laughs> Uh, we sent her a bunch of emails to his lawyer and to the other people who were slowing his case down. And then on the days of the case, we would post up right outside and have noise demonstrations. And we would make it so loud and unbearable for anybody that wanted to come into the court that day. Mm-hmm. And eventually they didn't want to keep scheduling court dates mm-hmm. and you know, moved, so, moved to make sure that the, the process would expedite and he got out of jail. So it's like we didn't even have to march. We just had to be across the street and tell people to bring instruments and mm-hmm. chalk and be loud. So it's mm. a bunch of so it's ways. violence ever, or is there is there ever a, a thought of people saying, "Hey, let's do this"? Um, and again, this is you know the opportunity to kind of clear things up for some people, right? Because some people some people think that way. So is do you guys ever discuss that? Do we do we ever discuss like let's go burn Break down windows? Building? Yeah. No, 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 no. That that wouldn't be something that we would bring to an organizing table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really conversations I've been a part of mm-hmm. um, as far as like honestly how violence permeates itself in these moments in these movements is spontaneous mm-hmm. most of the times even when you see people stepping out in Louisville to shoot at the cops they did that not it wasn't organized they did that because they seen that headline and they just couldn't take it no more mm-hmm. and they pick up a gun and they go and, you know, and it's kind of like you, I think it's very obvious to people like the looting and the rioting and all that stuff that happened or whatever. I don't even like those words. The uprising, mm-hmm. the physical uprising that happened only lasted about two weeks. And that mm-hmm. was because it was spontaneous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not organizing a violent uprising. We are organizing an uprising. Mm-hmm. And so I think it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't like Sun Tzu talks about in the art of war. The least tactful form of of war is against buildings and cities. Mm-hmm. So why would we, if we're capable of the least amount of violence possible, want to go and take on the most inefficient form of warfare? Right. No, we're trying to. We're definitely trying to undo and and wage our war um, without needing violence at all. Is it more? It's absolutely mental and strategic, conscious and tactical and conscious and spiritual mm-hmm. and political. Mm-hmm. Um. And we do leverage physical power. Mm-hmm. Like being in the streets is physical power. We're saying we have more people than you on our side. Mm-hmm. Move us. Mm-hmm. You can't because our our voice is strong and our First Amendment rights are strong, and we're leveraging our rights. Right. You know. And I think that is an act of power. Um, and I think the police are taking it as an act of war. Mm-hmm. The way that they're organizing against us is not just civil activity to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't ca- categorize our movement. Violent. Right. So, uh, and help me see. I think I, I'll get it right. Uh, so Martin Luther King said uh, that rioting is the language of the language unheard. of the unheard. And Malcolm X was he was more of a um, militant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even Malcolm X didn't carry a gun, right? Right. Yeah. Like for the m- most of his life, like that we see the picture of him holding that that rifle outside. 
Mm-hmm. But for most of his life, he forbade himself from carrying weapons. Mm-hmm. What is your take on violence? As a means of, like, achieving liberation? Yeah, like, what do, what do you make of the... the, the the, or just the like evolution the of a protest mm, into like into something that's yeah more physically resisted mm-hmm. um i i think it's hard for me to answer that because i've never quite been there mm-hmm. i've never quite been there where it's like okay this is just fascist now what mm-hmm. we might be there soon um i know at some point even this constitution justifies violence not only as like a means of self-defense and as tyranny and i think we are starting to get closer and closer to finding out where that line is Mm -hmm. and i mean that's all i know is that it feels like we're getting closer and closer to being like like if you're asking me personally not even as a means of organizing but like on a moral sense i don't think that violence would be unjustified in any sense like is it against the law? Do I condone people that shoot back at the police when Breonna Taylor stuff happens? No, I wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't advise no one to do that, but I can't say I don't understand it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at right now where it's like, I'm torn between, I don't think it's the smartest strategical move and it's dangerous to advocate for it, but I can't blame people that disagree with me in my style mm-hmm. because, you know, they can't bring themselves, they like literally can't bring themselves to act in a way that's anything other than violent. Mm-hmm. Because they'd be like, if, if someone's going to be violent to me, I have to reciprocate. And that's what I've drawn myself as a, as a human being. But And I think what a lot of people need yeah. to keep in mind is that, um, so we're talking about radic- slightly radicalization part of it, right? Yeah. So, so, so somebody that comes to the, the, the edge of it and just decides that this is the next... Yeah prop step um because a lot of that has been happening throughout the years with all the school shootings yeah. so there is a radicalization of there is of uh white americans absolutely there is young white uh men um and uh you know unfortunately i mean cops getting shot or ambushed just mm-hmm. by you know by people that are starting to behave in that way that's crazy. That's not. I don't think that's obviously. I don't think that helps. I don't. That I don't think that's a good thing. But it's we're starting to see it on the other end too. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say that stop marching, let it be. I think Morgan Freeman. I've seen a, a bunch of his videos that he says that um, to end racism, we have to stop talking about racism. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that. I mean, I've heard. I've heard of a lot of those different types of quotes. Mm-hmm. Right. People think that the movement that you guys are in is not effective, but there has been some, some legislation oh, so much that, that has happened, right? Can you tell a little bit about I mean, some just of the, the stuff that uh, has been signed recently? Yeah. I mean, just the first night alone proved all I needed to know, right? The first night I got caught in, we marched um, from Price Chopper to the mayor's house on Ingers, from Price Chopper to Ingersoll to the mayor's house. That night, um, he promised us he would go down back to the Polk County Board of Supervisors. He he promised he would lobby to get the curfew ended, which was being used to justify a lot of police brutality, mm-hmm. not just related to the protests, but also related to the protests. He said um, he would go back and get all the protesters released out of jail, and then he would start moving forward the racial profiling ban. So that was the first night, and all those things happened. We woke up, the curfew was gone, and all of our protesters were released from jail. You know, so that's the first day we took a victory with two of those. And then we also moved that forward, the racial profiling van mm-hmm. and the police. How I always check in, like, was that effective? Are the police mad? The police are very mad that they pa- we passed that racial profiling van because now it gives us the ability to hold them accountable and say not only did what you do was mixed conduct, but it was racist. Mm-hmm. And you did it because that person was black. or whatever. And that's like an article. That's the thing and that you'll get signed. That's some, yeah. And that's something that already exists. So now... Um, another thing was um, the plan for more perfect union. So we moved from the city government after we got some of those demands knocked out. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. We went to the state government and um, there was the plan for more perfect union, which bans police chokeholds. It also gives the attorney general the ability to investigate police misconduct. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes it illegal for anyone in the state of Iowa who's been found guilty of police misconduct or abuse to get a law enforcement job in the state. So, okay. yeah, so anyone that commits an offense, usually you can commit an offense, they cover it up, you know, you move to from Clive to 
West Des Moines mm-hmm. police can't or something. They can't do that no more. Um, so those are big measures. The day that we got to the state house, the first day we came, Ross Smith, who I told you about earlier, came up to us and said, "Yo, they they just moved my plan for more perfect union to the floor." You know, they're about to vote on it, but they took all the teeth out of it. They took everything that makes it effective out. And I'll vote. I'll be the only person to vote against my own bill mm-hmm. if, it, if it means, you know, um, you know, I'll vote against my own bill before I vote for this, you know, piece of crap. Essentially, mm-hmm. we was like, OK, well, well, we'll do some talking. We went around, followed every legislator around that day, mm-hmm. chanted where we are allowed to chant. We learned the rules of the state house. We lobbied every single person in there. The next day. It was moving through the House unanimously mm-hmm. and the Senate. They were debating the bill at the same time, trying to move it through fast enough just to get us out of their ear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to, just to, all right, here, take it, take it all. Get, just please leave us alone. That was that was the first month. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was historic legislation. And they had never seen someone, de- pe- people debate the same bill on both the floors at the same time. Mm-hmm. That was unprecedented. Like mm-hmm. people was in there saying, I've been in state government 30, 40, 50 years, never seen this happen. So um, you guys go to the courthouse. You guys talk to. You oh, yeah, we go right too. there. You go to the. the mm-hmm. uh, and, and we talk about like um, it's the power of the people. You know, we, um, we're trying to take all of the all of the barriers, the inequities out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Any single person could go to the state. Well, I can't now because I'm banned. <laughs> okay. But um, any single Is person can like go there. Definite or. Yeah. And make their voice heard and yeah. sign up as a lobbyist and have someone get some get them on the floor. And so that's one of the threats is we're a group of people that's under 30 years old. That's mostly black and Latino and and um, female. Mm-hmm. And we know our power and we use it mm-hmm. effectively, very effectively and strategically. And we were able to figure it out in a very short amount of time. And I think that makes us very very i would be scared like if i was mm-hmm. kim reynolds and i seen my approval rating drop in half over the summer i'll be concerned mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so i think they are like we just gained sixty thousand votes in the state too you guys have had yeah. you know all this impact that has helped um the community now yeah. be a little bit safer i have a couple more questions but this one is it's not an oxymoron because um, I want to discuss it a little bit with you. So is there a role for police or is there another version of police? Because when you say defund the police, that doesn't connect with, you know, uh, with somebody. I, I think you have like a list of 10 things that mm-hmm. make sense. But is there another version of the police? What in, And if it is, like what what would it be? Yeah. Um. So usually when I get this question, like it's a question that's so hard. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's almost oxymoronic. Yeah, because you you know, because you yeah. that's what you're standing on. Yeah. Um, but I want to give it some space of for for us to mm-hmm. like dive, like, a dive in. Bit about yeah. It. So what I like to do is turn the question on the head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to ask people, what are police? Why do they exist? And why do we need them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The police are a direct like. You can trace the lineage the same way you can trace the lineage of of like animals and how they progress through evolution. Like you can trace the lineage of how slave catchers turned into police, police units, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. literal municipal private security firms, i.e. gangs (laughs) Mm -hmm. turned into municipal police departments. Okay. And you can track their, their movements. Document it. You can document it and how they evolved in like Iowa state patrol was a slave catching unit that worked to enforce federal slave laws and return slaves to slave states. Okay. You know what I mean? So this is like a, a real racist institution. And so my question is, why do we need racist institutions? Mm-hmm. And what institutions should replace racist ones? Mm-hmm. One of the big things we've been learning about is the power of community. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have police, then the community, every single member has to be empowered to be able to 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 make their community safe. Mm-hmm. So everyone on this street should know each other right. and have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be able to, if there's a domestic incident, there should be someone on the block that is designated to call. Mm-hmm. Hey, I heard Christine and Chris or whoever is having an argument. Can you go check on them? Mm-hmm. Go and check. Then you can bring it back to the community. There's This is the situation. There's a gun in there. I think we should bring more people to do this. Or then we can go to a unit that is like, literally made to extract people out of 
domestic incidences. Mm-hmm. Like we can go to that specific unit. The police are not trained to take people out of domestic incidences. I think San Francisco. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. yeah. San Francisco said that they they created a unit uh, that is that is not that will respond to most. I think they said police are only going to be called when there's like um, I guess they created another layer of mm-hmm. uh, San Francisco did. Yeah, yeah, and there's those layers. They do exist. Various ones like there's ones for um, if someone is called and they're on a substance. There's cities where um, a substance counselor will get called first mm-hmm. before an armed policeman. And those are those are cool steps in between. But eventually we want to get to the place where, like, police didn't exist in any other society. How did we keep each other safe? We all did it. Mm-hmm. It was every single person's responsibility, and it was a 24-7 thing that we were always thinking about. And so we have to build that culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people don't miss is, like, the policy is cool. But that's like a Band-Aid. And the real solution is we have to all build the culture of looking out for one another's safety. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the real work. Right. That's the real uh, work. Because, I mean, uh, another dumb question. I guess, you don't feel comfortable calling the police No. if you're in trouble. No. A lot of... Um, if something happens, who do you call? A lot of communities don't call them. I mean, a lot of communities, they just, they just don't right. um, call nobody. Um, so that's the question, like... When I mean, the police murder somebody, who do you call? Right. I can speak of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or when the police, like the police, like today, um, you pick me up and they are harassing somebody. And those people were very concerned. But who do I call for to, to be like, I'm concerned about this officer harassing these people right now? Yeah. You know, there's, there is no power. You know, and that's not necessarily safety either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's safety for some people in some situations, but mm-hmm. it's not safety for all of us. Right. And starting to think about, like, what looks like a world where we could all be safe. It would have to be, like, anywhere I'm at, I could trust the person that I see. Yeah, th- like, yeah. for uh, undocumented people, they yeah. don't dare to call the police. No, no way. So think about women that live in uh, domestic violence situations. Yeah. When people here, they live in the shadows. They they literally live in a very low, under the radar. Yeah. Go to work, go to the store literally trying not to create attention mm -hmm. and why would uh, somebody want to call the police if they know they're undocumented and they know that that so or um, and again like a lot of the situations that people would need the police for again they're not going to call them because so you're trying to change consciousness yeah that's what it really is cultural right like policing Mm -hmm. is cultural we um what it says serve and protect Mm. right um so a lot of people would argue, you know, who would, uh, you know, who are we going to call then if somebody breaks in or so, you know, that's their, that's their go-to is who's going to keep me safe. But not thinking that there's another demographic or another group or other neighborhoods that is literally safe. the opposite of safe. Um, and I think we have to consider that, right? It can't yeah. just be, what about my safety? And because, I mean, I haven't had to call the cops that's what I'm saying. And a lot Forever. of people asking these questions are safe every day. <laughs> and they're not safe because of the police. They're safe because they can go eat. They got a roof. They got a good job. They're comfortable. They don't have to deal with, like, existential dread or any of that stuff. Like, you're already safe. Mm-hmm. And you don't need an armed guard 24-7 to be able to call any time to just to secure your own anxieties. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's really all it is, is to protect people like their anxieties like if i call if i have a problem with this person i have someone i can call that's going to take care of it for me and i've i've seen that how realistic do you think it is and and i'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate it's it's a little bit utopian that that the the thought of like that the police can the police can be defunded Mm -hmm. and abolished Mm -hmm. so do you how do you how do you come to those how do you um Yes. How do you handle that? That that's that that saying that the police is defund can be defunded or should be defunded. How do you come to a conclusion with that? Um, that thought that it it's it's fairly far fetched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's another thing where I think um, history is is important too. Um, like the only way that I could be in the streets the way that I am is if like my ancestors 
weren't very, very ambitious against the exact same institution, mm-hmm. really. Because mm-hmm. um, the police have been getting kind of pushed back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I think about it. Like, I don't know if I'm going to win that overall battle in my lifetime. Sure. Right. But I know that if I fight my whole lifetime, my children is going to benefit. They're going to be if, closer. Oh, yeah. They're going to be closer. Mm-hmm. For so, sure. Because so, I'm already closer this summer than I was mm-hmm. February 28, 2020. So you are aware that you're part of this, um, you know, because I was talking to Isaiah, mm-hmm. the director for of the Urban Dreams yeah. on our podcast. And he's like, man, we got, we're going to do it for the rest of our lives. Yeah. This, this, this type of work. Yeah. It's, the, it's, yeah. It's like that. And it's something you pass down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something, um, that's one of the things in my lifetime I've, that's the conclusion I'm drawing. Like, I didn't have someone that taught me, like, hey, this is something that's passed down. I'm learning that, like, oh, this has been passed down to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it couldn't have, it couldn't have existed right now if it wasn't that way. Slavery wouldn't be abolished. Women yeah. wouldn't be able to vote. Yeah. Segregation would still yeah. exist if there wasn't yeah. people willing to constantly since the whole like the whole time Mm -hmm. it's just and it's like a to me it's like organization organizing is literally like the way we survive you know Mm -hmm. until the next what world that we arrive at is how how we survive until we get there that's how that's the conclusion i've got to come to anyway i'm glad that you took time uh thank you for making time for me i know that um can't be easy and I'm glad that I got to know you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And hopefully anyone, the 5 to 10 or 15 or 100 people or however many people listen to this, hopefully they get an, another um, vantage point. Yeah, yeah. another layer, you know, of, of who you are. Um, even for me, you know. I mean, you see somebody popping up on the, on the news. You create yeah. your own your own narrative. You create your own. Or you take on whatever the narrative mm-hmm. uh, that sources so um you know i think it's healthy for people to listen thoroughly and read a little bit um in depth and before they just read the headline and just kind of go i appreciate you for the opportunity i also appreciate you opening your home you have a beautiful home um this uh wall decked out of new york times oh yeah headlines is really dope i've been reading them i don't know if you've noticed my eyes like <laughs> floating around and seeing this. it's been dope so yeah i appreciate yeah. the experience yeah sure. no thank you man uh hopefully we can keep our conversations going and um you know stay safe be smart sure. um you know i think that there there's a lot that that uh you guys have done i think that it's important the work that you're doing um but like as a dad, you know, it's it. I I couldn't imagine how your mom. You oh, <laughs> she's worried. She she plays tough. She plays yeah. real tough. But I mean, she be worried. But she's a warrior. She uh, I mean, she must be really proud of you too. She's you know? very but, proud. But also, um, it can be scary. But it's important work, and a lot of a lot of great men have done it in the past. Read all into them. You know, I'm sure you do. Yeah. You you look like a well-read man. So, um, but thank you, man. We're gonna have to do it again. We're oh, for do sure. Like a follow-up. Yeah, after some other events, whatever events go down. All right, <laughs> man. Some cool stuff to talk about. I'm sure will right. happen. Hopefully, the arrest stopped. Though. That'd be oh cool, yeah, right? it'll be nice if they slow <laughs> down. Yeah, we're... all right, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. That was Matt Bruce, organizer, activist of the black liberation movement so you'll probably see him again in the news one way or another when you do hopefully you heard this conversation and you you have your you have done a more informed critique of uh of a person yeah maybe maybe uh or you can try not being so fucking entitled to your opinion you know Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's what's wrong with people now yeah. I'm entitled to my no, like yeah, you're not entitled to your dumbass opinion. So yeah. how about how about uh, how about just you know quit being entitled to uh, even your opinion. I mean, obviously you are entitled to your opinion, but you don't have to act like that. You mm. don't have to act entitled. You know, yeah. it's kind of annoying. It's annoying. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, just keep up, 
keep up for big news. I mean, I guess we're gonna. I don't. I, we can't say anything because we're kind of working on it right now. So what if we don't come through? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. So and, by and saying something, we're actually yeah, you're committing. Yeah, kind of for that. Known for what? <laughs> Not coming. <through>. Fuck you. <laughs> um, no, I'm but just serious. We're gonna put a lot of work in the next few days and hopefully come out with something good, yeah. good product. So, um, yeah, share, comment, subscribe. Yeah, follow us on every single platform. Yeah, share is. it. Share and share it too. Yeah. Share it. God knows I share this. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you literally don't. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I, um, we're doomed. Yeah. Yeah. Just share it. Yeah. All right. Just ho- hopefully you won't share with my boss. <laughs> no way. Nobody knows. Nobody really knows who you are. Yeah, that's true. Nobody knows where you work. Yeah. Nobody knows nothing. Yeah. But that's we'll true. put it out on the page on the Abner Martinez page. We want to know who Kenji is. <laughs> um. All right. Play us out with that beat.